You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have the great pleasure of sitting here in front of Nick Drake, who is the EVP of Marketing and Experience at T-Mobile, and we are here at CES together, both of us drinking tea and honey with groggly voices, but it's so nice to have you here with me. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I think all the listeners should know, though, only one of us has been in a limo party bus in the 24 hours. (laughs) And it wasn't the person wearing magenta. Okay. All right. Well, like to be clear, that has nothing to do with my voice. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a late night. It was It was a massive dash to Best Buy to buy a microphone because I wanted to make sure that we captured this beautifully today because we have so much to talk about. And uh, I just remember a few months ago, maybe was it six months ago now? Um, yeah. Six months ago now that I came out to see you in Santa Monica. Mm. And what a fun day that was. You asked me to come to the Santa Monica flagship store. Yeah. And I got there, and the minute I arrived, there was this entire crew of employees standing outside the store, and they said, can I help you? Can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm here to see Nick Drake. And they're like, yes, we are too. He's coming. He's coming. They were so excited to see you. It was the day after you launched your new initiative called Team of Experts, and they were just over the moon that you were coming to see them. And you arrived, clapping started, and it all broke loose from there, but uh, I thought maybe that'd be a good place for you to start and tell me what was Team of Experts and what was all that excitement about? Wow, I, it, it was an amazing day. We, we were certainly really excited about the Uncarrier Move uh, Team of Experts. But I think what you saw is something that happens all the time. You know, this company has been built on an incredible culture since John Ledger, our CEO, arrived five years ago. Everything we've done has been about enabling those that speak to customers every single day to deliver unbelievable experiences. And as part of that, our retail teams and our customer care teams have this unbelievable sense of fun and celebration of the work that they get to do every day. And I think you got to see some small part of certainly nothing to do with my presence, but much more to do with how much fun they're having at T-Mobile on a daily basis. The Uncarrier move was really special. We uh, have now, I think, executed about 17 uncarrier moves. And, and this was based on a promise that John made. Funnily enough, at CES, this almost brings things full circle. 
And in a sort of unpremeditated moment of frustration, he jumped up onto a stage and said, I want to put an end to a stupid, broken and arrogant industry. And from that moment, he set out on a path to change wireless for good. Yeah, that's been our company's purpose for the last six years. And the tentpole moments in that journey have been these uncarrier moves where we've executed things that have forced the other guys to follow us, thus changing the wireless industry permanently and making our customer experiences far better than they were prior to those moments. And so the team of experts announcement was delivering personalized customer care. Uh, we'd got rid of the IVR. You'll never speak to a robotic voice when you call T-Mobile. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you won't waste hours or days of your life waiting to speak to a real-life human being. You're directly connected to somebody that's dedicated to your business, who is placed within your location, so can really relate to you. And if you don't wish to call and directly connect, we also opened up the ability for you to message in the way that we talk to all of our friends today, like a text message or Insta message or whatever it may be. So you can choose the medium, but the key here is directly connecting and doing it on your time. And more than that, you can do it over any period of time. So you can reconnect with the same person uh, to continue nice. that conversation and have the context of your relationship always known rather than restarting from the beginning every time you eventually, after hours of waiting, get through to somebody that might be able to help you. Right. Um, As so, you said, not listening to annoying jazz along the way. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> Killing the soft jazz was a, was a key part of this. Yeah. Elevator music. Can you imagine? It's just, just the worst. Yeah. Oh, I have to listen to it all the time. Some people, yes. <laughs> so that is amazing. Okay. And then they were so excited because of these groups that you created where they could absolutely service the customer in a 360 degree manner. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah. A key part of how John really began to turn the company around from day one was this unique philosophy about let's do everything we possibly can to make sure that those that are talking to customers every day have every tool at their disposal to make that an unbelievable experience for the customer or to be able to resolve their issue as quickly as possible. And he got rid of all the standardization and all the processes and all of the nondescript tools that big companies use to manage the efficiency of the contact or the time related to speaking to the customer, uh, which is how many companies rate their success versus how happy was the customer at the end of the, the call and have you really resolved their issues. And so part of this was removing things that customers find painful about connecting to a real life human being. Another really key part of this was putting more power in the hands of our incredible customer care teams. And Callie Field, who's our EVP of customer care, had a brilliant idea, which was enabling these teams of experts to manage their own P&Ls. And the results from doing this have been phenomenal. So our CSAT scores have risen by 60% since she's introduced a team of experts. And that's on top of that team already setting a record on JD Powers for the highest ever customer care score in JD Powers history. And then I think what's even more gratifying is our employee churn rate dropped by 48%. Wow. Um, and 90% of our employees are promoted from within to more senior positions rather than um, coming from the outside. So there were a bunch of effects on the employee that have raised the morale, created even more passion for what they're doing. And of course, has been a better experience for our customers and great for business as well. So in some total, I think this was just a phenomenal move. And, and we're so proud to have the kind of customer care team that we have. 
And of course, you got to experience the, the similar culture that we have in our in our retail stores. Yeah. I mean, it was so amazing. I remember after the initial reception and greeting and, and you took the time to, to talk to every single person and I got to hear their stories. They were so excited. They brought you downstairs into the employee gathering yeah. room. And we walked in and there was a wall of individuality where everybody had designed their own mohawk to represent who they were, That's right. which I thought was phenomenal. And they were excited to share with you what they were reading that week. Yeah. They're all part of a book club yep. and trying to grow. And um, I've never seen anything quite like it, actually. It was really amazing. It was an amazingly proud moment for me as well. I mean, the, the individual store managers have tremendous freedom to build and nurture their teams as they see fit. And in Santa Monica, the, the book club was something new for me as well. I, I believe they were reading uh, Simon Sinek's That's right. uh, novel yep. um, about purpose. And um, it was something that I'd written about, I think, in a LinkedIn article a few weeks prior. And so um, they had very kindly decided to read one of the books that I had recommended that people look at that was talking about, in my words, brand belief and brand behavior. I think Simon Sinek would call it the why, how, what. This is really just an investment in employee growth. You saw the results, the level of engagement and the very personal way our employees treat our customers. It's a unique experience. And, it, and it's so gratifying to see our managers really investing in their employees in that manner. But um, it was as new for me as it was for you. I, I had no idea. And I, I was just blown away by what was going on down there. I was so impressed. And I took pictures. And so yes. when we release your podcast, I'll make sure they're included. I think I posted them that day because I was just so excited. And uh, it's such a great experience. So I thank you for allowing me to see a little bit of your world and um, the wonderful culture that you've been building there. And I also remember you told me something I, I didn't know before I got there, which was you started your career actually as a professional rugby player. And we were talking before we started recording today about all of a sudden these interesting correlations between what you learned in rugby and, and what you're doing now. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah. I think you were asking me about mentors at the time, and I was sort of reflecting on important people um, that had affected the way that I sort of think about things in life. I was very fortunate. I was uh, part of the first generation of professional rugby player in the UK. Um, I think the game went professional in 98 while I was at university. And I ended up playing for a club in London called London Irish. And when I joined the club, uh, they were having a pretty tough time. It was a challenging relationship between the then coach and, and the players. And we were languishing in the bottom three or four of the Premier League at the time. And... One of our players, a man called Dr. Brendan Venter, who was a family practice doctor who happened to be an incredible rugby player, member of the South African rugby team. And I don't know if you've seen Invictus, but he was a part of the squad that won the World Cup uh, when uh, Nelson Mandela was wow. able to present that trophy back to his own team. Mm. And uh, a man of incredible character. And he stood up one day and said, enough, I think I can do a better job. And the then coach uh, left the club and Brendan took over. And I reflected a little bit on his approach at that time. And I think many of the things that he did have, have always stayed with me. But if there was one headline in his approach, he took a very human approach. Back in those days, you know, as rugby was in its infancy, there was a very uniform approach to how players were treated in terms of how we played the game, how we trained, how you were treated off the pitch. It was sort of one approach for everybody. And Brendan added personalization for the first time and treated individuals for their own very specific needs. And so that incarnated in many different ways. But one of the key things was on the field of play, he designed the way we played for our strengths. 
He was constantly tinkering and always learning from the last game and innovating for the next. And then off the field, we had an incredible program that was just designated for us. And so I've always taken away this very human approach to things. He didn't take the, the, the standard textbook and the generally accepted way of doing things. And he, and he looked at it as a series of individuals that had some exceptional skills. And rather than focusing on their weaknesses and trying to build them up, he said, go play to your strengths. And he designed programs around that to very much support uh, those teams. And then through that, brought a very innovative approach to the game. And so some of those things, I think, have applied quite directly to some of the roles that I've gone on to play as somebody who really enjoys innovation and disruption and and really trying to think about what's next and, and, and how companies can prepare for those moments. And uh, when I got the opportunity to come to T-Mobile, that was very much what Mike Sievert uh, offered me as, as part of the opportunity to, to change initially the digital part of our business and help drive transformation. And uh, I often reflect back on some of the ways that Brendan was approaching the game in those days and, and, and look at the similarities as to how we're approaching digital transformation. Yeah. And you said a phrase that I said immediately, wow, that's a headline. Um, it was going into the unknown. Amazing things happen. Yes. And that's a great phrase. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I remember saying that. Um, <laughs> no, but I think I think probably it was in context of um, you know part of the game, and I think part of what you know some athletes can bring to uh, the space of innovation was there are these incredibly tense moments before you go into the field of play. You're standing in the tunnel. There's sixty thousand people at the other end, and you know very naturally you go through periods of doubt. You know what if various negative scenarios occur. And Brendan very much impressed upon us that these are actually moments of huge opportunity, made us reflect upon the fact that if you throw yourself into the unknown, incredible things happen. Not all of them will be successful, but he, he enabled us to dismiss them very quickly, take learnings and, and then reapply um, to uh, being more successful the next time around. And facing you know, the unknown and being unafraid of the unknown, I think, is a key characteristic or trait in people that are really looking to make change or help drive things like digital transformation because they really are steps into the unknown. There are no blueprints. There are no widely accepted ways that you should approach. Every company has to find their own path and way that suits their culture and and must constantly adapt because of the changing landscape. And again, I, I, I often think that that may have prepared me fairly well for being somebody that loves to jump into um, innovation and, and help drive change. Yeah, and innovation, we are going to talk about that for sure, because you're doing so many cool, new, innovative things. But before we do that, you went from rugby, and we've been talking about T-Mobile, but in between, you've had this very incredible, fascinating journey that got you from rugby to T-Mobile. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I'd love to tell you it was planned, but it really wasn't. Um, (laughs) Why am I not surprised? (laughs) (laughs) I often reflect on being unbelievably lucky. And it's very hard sometimes to see the luck while you're sort of in the middle of that moment. But my path was really forged through getting injured. And I, I had to face the reality of potentially not having a, a long-term playing career and needing another profession. And um, in the period of not playing, I took an internship with a company called IMG, Mark McCormack Sports Marketing Company. And the philosophy being, if I couldn't play sport, I wanted to work closely with it. And By happy coincidence, IMG were outsourcing sponsorship evaluation to a media company, part of Grey Advertising Group called Mediacom. 
And so as a representative of IMG, I was actually placed inside Mediacom to use some of their media analytics tools to begin to put some valuation around sponsorships. What was the FA Cup worth to uh, Coca-Cola or what was Wimbledon worth to Dunlop, for instance? And we were, we were looking at basic viewership numbers and, and run an assessment on how visible brands were on sideboards, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I felt, was the closest that I could get to my passion being sport. And while I was sitting in the advertising agency, I suddenly realized there was this, a whole other world going on around me that yeah. I had no appreciation for. And they had some unbelievable clients in there, namely Nokia being one of the ones that sat most closely to where I was. And I suddenly became fascinated by this world of advertising. And during the the period of my internship, they very kindly offered me a full-time position. And I ended up accepting one within the industry working on the um, Adidas business. So I sort of fell into initially Adidas media planning. And then I I recovered from my injury, played for a number of years, and they very kindly allowed me to work part-time. I've always really been grateful to the Aegis uh, group and a, a gentleman called Nigel Morris for allowing me to do that. But it was sort of rare in the time that a professional athlete would, would go into an office and, and learn a new trade while my colleagues were sort of sitting at home playing PlayStation and <laughs> icing their legs. And uh, when I retired in, in 2003, I, I worked there briefly full time and then was extraordinarily fortunate and Adidas came, uh, came knocking and said, would you like to come and join our, our global brand marketing team? And again, fortuitously, I landed at a moment that the company was really looking to you know, re-identify itself and uh, perhaps gain some traction on Nike, who had really gained a lot of market share in Europe. And we built a, a new campaign called Impossible as Nothing that went on to be uh, recognized uh, uh, pretty heavily at Cannes. We went on to be World Advertiser of the Year. And suddenly, when those incredible things happen to you, your career accelerates and um I eventually found myself at uh, Shiat Day in Los Angeles, where I was the managing director of the office under an incredible president, uh, called, a lady called Carissa Bianchi, and of course, the unbelievable Lee Clow, who became something of a secondary mentor. And under Lee, um, which was really like a, another university education, if you like, I learned the principles of brand belief and brand behavior, media arts and disruption. And we were surrounded by you know, unbelievable brands you know, I got to work with Antonio Lucio, who was the CMO of Visa. We were working uh, with uh, PepsiCo and Gatorade. Uh, there was Sarah Robert Hagen, who was the CMO of Gatorade at the time. And working for her was uh, Morgan Flatley, who's now the CMO of, uh, of um, McDonald's. And this, this fantastic network of incredibly accomplished marketeers were in and around the Shiat Day universe. Um, but one thing held all those brands in common, which they, they all had a tremendous sense of why they existed, what their purpose in the world was, and were executing phenomenal campaigns through what Lee would call media arts. And um, those principles have always stayed with me. Okay. I remember talking to you in detail about a, a number of things the last time I saw you six months mm. ago. And in everything you said, you kept saying to me, oh, this this happened to me. I was so you know, fortunate to, to, to be there. And it's serendipitous or <laughs> fortuitous. And I was thinking as I was listening to you that, no, I mean, this is all you. I mean, you'd like, if I just go back to that campaign, impossible is nothing. That's exactly your philosophy from your rugby team. It's mm-hmm. exactly how you live your life today. I mean, that's you. None of this, I think, happens serendipitously. I, I think that I've been drawn to environments that 
reflect things that I'm really passionate about. And when I think about the common thread that exists between Adidas or Adidas, as it is in, in North America, <laughs> yeah, both, both are correct. We're going to debate that. Yeah, okay. we, we, so. we can. <laughs> <laughs> and Shiat Day and, and T-Mobile. There is a common thread between all of those companies. And I think they are philosophies that I was innately drawn to. And, you know, I, I guess what I, I would call serendipitous is they were philosophies that really resonate with customers and, and consequently meant that those companies were being tremendously successful with their clients or customers. But you know, for me, it, it's always been a work of passion, things that I don't wake up in the morning and drag my feet to, but leap out of bed with a spring because you get to do unbelievable things that are really positively affecting customers' lives every day. And it gives you a real sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. As you were saying, you have a spring in your step. Well, you're still wearing Adidas or Adidas today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Tell me about the Adidas versus Adidas. What's your what's your take? Which one's right? They're both right. Funnily enough, we had a meeting in 2005, um, I think in Orlando, where this was debated. You know, we were rapidly becoming a more global brand at that time. We'd been a sort of multi-local um, organization up until that point with... Um, uh, the company growing very quickly in the early days and with huge autonomy in the markets. And North America was something of a quandary because in Canada and the uh, and, and, and United States, it was called Adidas. And I believe that the deciding factor in this, I may be causing an urban myth to grow here, but I believe <laughs> if I remember the meeting correctly, the deciding factor was Run DMC had written a song called My Adidas. And we felt that we could never change culture in that way. <laughs> Um, and so the, the brand was marketed as Adidas in North America and Adidas in the rest of the world. And the reason for that is that the founder was called uh, Adolf Dassler or Adi Dassler. Um, so Adidas wow. became the synonym for the, uh, for the business. How fascinating. Mm. All right. Well, cool. Well, okay. I could talk to you all day about that. Um, all, all day about sports, I guess. Sports, the, uh, Run DMC, Adidas, Adidas. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, well, I think some folks just saw Run DMC last night. Um, that's amazing. It's still going. It's still going. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I wasn't there. That's not where this voice is from. Um, <laughs> you, you were still rocking around in your uh, party limo. I was, I know I should, I mean, next time I come here, I'm just going to like book one for like five days. It's the only way to get around. Yeah. You should do these podcasts from it. Like, what a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Look at that. It's in, in, impossible is nothing, right? Let's, we need a mic. We want to record. We'll just get a party bus. I love it. Okay. <laughs> that is actually more your style. I remember the first time we said, well, let's record a podcast. You said, Nadine, well, why don't we just do it like a board meeting? And I thought, okay, sure. Wasn't thinking anything of it. And you actually meant let's get on a surfboard and record a podcast. And I'm like, Nick, we cannot record from the middle of the ocean. That's not going to happen. But you actually do board meetings out there, right? Yeah, it, it was interesting. It, it was really connected to finishing a life as a professional athlete and it leaving quite a big gap. And as much as I threw myself into you know, new and stimulating things at uh, Adidas or Shite Day or whatever it may have been, there was still the gap of um, missing uh, being fit and active and having that moment of uh, reflection, you know, which is what sport really gives me. It's sort of a removal from the day-to-day. -day. It closes off that voice in your head um, and gives you a moment of quiet and still because as you're expelling that much effort, th there's nothing else you can think about other than what you're doing. And I tried a multitude of different sports and I couldn't find the thing that, that gave me that time for quiet contemplation, which I think is incredibly healthy in people's lives and I discovered surfing. And uh, it became an important part of leading a, a healthy and hopefully successful 
uh, life. So Shayak Day was was really um, a great moment of synergy in that respect because Lee was a, a, an amazing surfer. There was incredible surf culture built into the business. I don't know if you know, um, many of the listeners have actually been to Shayak Day Los Angeles, but there is a surf bar. The boardroom is made of surfboards and uh, wow. there's a beautiful woody car with a surfboard you know, sitting in the middle of the agency. And um, on a quieter day, when a nice south swell comes into Los Angeles, you'll, you'll find a good number of the employees may roll in around 10 o'clock, having had a, a good morning in the surf. But you know, for me, it was actually an opportunity to connect with friends and to reflect on some, some of the things that we were striving to achieve in our lives. And uh, so surfing became relatively important. There's a little bit less of it in Seattle. Fortunately, we have Lake Washington and uh, some friends have been kind enough to offer me a bit of wake surfing behind their boats, which is not too dissimilar. <laughs> well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, great. Okay, so let's come back to some of the fun things that you're excited about today at T-Mobile because you guys are tapping into all new territory. Yeah, we have this purpose of changing wireless for good. You know, the duality of um, both making it better for customers, but also permanently, uh, irrevocably changing this broken industry. And it gives you amazing license to go uh, tackle uh, big problems and be really innovative. And that's something that I've always really been drawn to. And so more recently, that's incarnated in things like the Uncarrier move with a team of experts, um, but also just reimagining how we go about doing marketing. And we, we've been going through an enormous change. We launched a, a new campaign earlier last year called Are You With Us? We hope that it reflects this notion that many of our customers, when they um, are coming to T-Mobile, don't think about subscribing or this remote relationship, this intangible relationship with an invisible service. Um, but they feel that they're becoming part of something. And it's it's much more than the incredible experience of being a customer, but it's also a set of values that I think that we exude through many of our activities and, and our marketing. And so Are You With Us gave us permission to do a little bit more than than only change the wireless industry, but also talk about the values that hold us to wanting to do that. And so I'm really proud of some of the stuff that Team's done um, in the space of you know, um, helping the diversity and inclusion conversation in, in America. And you know, importantly, inside T-Mobile, over 20,000 of our employees are now members of diversity uh, DNI and uh, chapters, which uh, I think is part of where our incredible culture comes from. We've launched campaigns that are a thank you to our military and uh, serving uh, military members and veterans get uh, special uh, rates um, on our lines. And of course, I think we're really proud of some of the work we did with um, Home Runs for Hurricanes with the uh, MLB and Fox, where we were raising uh, dollars for those that had suffered from those natural disasters. In fact, I think just over a year's period, we've raised over $5 million. Wow. Uh, the mechanism being, we said we would donate $10,000 for every home run in the postseason. But more importantly, getting customers involved. And every time they tweeted HR for HR, uh, that was another $2 added to the, uh, to the fund. And so uh, that really um, helped people remember things that are very short term. You know, the, the news uh, channels will only talk about these disasters for a, a relatively short period of time. So giving longevity to some of these um, important causes and, and, and really helping the millions of people who were affected across the country, I think has been really gratifying. And more importantly than that, not only does it give us a, a sort of sense of purpose as a brand, um, but it, it's something that's really resonated with our customers as well. And so I think, you know, obviously you can do a tremendous amount in terms of positively affecting 
culture and do good things for your business at the same time. And um, that's uh, something of an evolution that I'm particularly proud of within the team at the moment. Yeah, that's wonderful. And kudos to you for making those initiatives come to life. Okay, I'd have two questions left for you. Okay. You said to me, right before we recorded this podcast, we were talking about major issues right now that everyone's thinking about that needs to be solved. And you said, Dean, we need to talk about the efficacy of advertising. And this was in a different context, but do you want to share your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was reflecting on what's happening at CES. And obviously the big story here is is 5G this year. And 5G really, in essence, means that a huge amount more data is going to be generated by our customers than ever before. I think we, we estimate that in a couple of years' time, it could be as much as 100 times more data than we have today. And that means both a huge opportunity but also you know, something to be really concerned about for some businesses. Uh, now, the opportunity is that those that are able to orchestrate data and deliver amazing, intuitive, personalized, or even predictive with 5G experiences off the back of this incredible new technology are going to be setting a, a new bar for experience, which is fantastic. But those that are not able to um, orchestrate data today are really going to struggle. And I was beginning to think about how our focus on that is only part of the story. Because the other part is, in delivering those amazing experiences, we also have to think about how we're using data to inform ad placement. And there are many environments that I think today are not delivering the attention that we would want as advertisers. And I think that we are accepting, um, as Keith Weed put it so brilliantly, media organizations that are marking their own homework. And we are being satisfied with things like numbers of impressions and reach and and not necessarily truly measuring the impact of the environment that we're placing some of those messages. And so it's a much bigger sort of conversation and topic, but um, I think it's a really important moment to think about how are we going to use this incredibly valuable customer resource and how are we going to make sure that we are both delivering a far better experience to our customers with it and thinking very carefully about the environments that we are placing those messages that are informed by the insights that we are gaining. Um, because I, th- I think today th- there hasn't been enough uh, industry reflection on the standards that have been self-set by some of those media platforms that I think um, deserve to be adjusted. And you know, we as a company should be voting with our dollars. I love it. Okay. And you're right. That's a very big topic. So I'm going to come back to you on a different day about that. Right. And uh, also want to come back to you on a different day about the impact of neuroscience, because you were talking about some cool things that you were learning in neuroscience to really understand the impact of messaging. Yeah. So I'm going to tease that out. We're coming back to you on that. My last question for you today, though, is if you could be doing anything in the world other Mm. than what you're doing right now, what would it be? Well, the easy answer would be uh, back playing rugby. Um, mm. They were clearly halcyon days and something that my body could not handle today. So we might have to put that to one side. <laughs> the The other time that I um, was incredibly happy and would love to go back to doing it again was I spent a part of a gap year, which is a time between uh, high school and university in, in the United Kingdom where you t- take some time to travel. And I ended up being a 
what's called a jackaroo, which is really a ranch hand in Australia. And this was a enormous station, 100,000 square acre station, and served two purposes. One was mustering feral cattle, which were highly aggressive and had a sense of danger every day as they were not particularly friendly to the horses that we were riding to perform the mustering. And the other part was re-educating Aboriginals and giving them skills that were based on um, some of the behaviors of their predecessors. And I remember this was a, another beautiful example of looking at taking an investment in human beings and what an incredible return that gives you when you see you know, what happened on the other side of that process. And this was really a, a lesson in not needing much in life. Uh, we had no electricity, no running water. You know, we got up and went to bed with the sun and we foraged our food from the, from the environment. And once every two weeks, a mail plane came in and maybe dropped off a case of beer or two. <laughs> um, but that was really it. It was very simple. And so it, it's often good to go back to that place and remind yourself that you don't need much to be entirely happy. You just need that strong sense of purpose and you need to get that strong sense of being part of a community and uh, that, that's a place that I was incredibly happy. Wow. Okay. So much more to talk to you about, Nick. But unfortunately, I have to let you go to your next meeting. Um, and I'm so happy you took time out here with me at CES to chat with me. I'm, I've just been so excited to have you on the show. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to be with me today. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Till next time. Okay. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.